high growth mindset people. I'm Prisna Kuchanu, your host, and this is a podcast that equips you with the mindset to achieve success. Are you ready to turn your growth mindset on? Let's get started. Hi, Grow Mindset people. Welcome back. I'm so excited to introduce you on this week's episode to Jeff Garner, who is head of partnership at Intercom. Hi, Jeff. Such a nice pleasure to have you at Growth Mindset On. And as I normally do, I ask guests to introduce themselves. Excellent. Well, thank you, Christina, for having me on the show. As you said, my name is Jeff Gardner. I'm head of platform partnerships at Intercom. Uh, previously head of support at Intercom and have been with Intercom since nearly the beginning uh, of when the company was founded. So my job currently really entails uh, kind of the product and platform or the product side of platform. I work really closely with a lot of very small businesses up to very large businesses who are trying to uh, build apps for the Intercom app store. And so that sometimes looks like helping them kind of dig through technical issues Uh, and figure out how to build the app that they want to build. And other times that's kind of working really closely with them to understand, you know, what is it that our joint customers might want to do and, you know, more on kind of a PM or project management uh, aspect of that. Okay, that's that's excellent. Uh, thank you, uh, Jeff, for be, for being here. And uh, it's interesting because, uh, as you said, you've been with Intercom since its early days. So, uh, more or less, could you explain a little bit the, the story of Intercom for those people who probably uh, don't really know it? Sure. Yeah. So Intercom is a kind of platform for communicating uh, with your customers. So if you're a business, uh, we think Intercom is the best way for your entire business and everybody in your business that needs to talk to customers to do that and for your customers to get in touch with you. So kind of the core of the product is our messenger, which you've seen all around the Internet, I'm sure. Uh, it's that little icon down in the bottom right corner of the screen in a lot of websites. Uh, and that messenger is how, you know, these businesses actually talk to customers. But the tools we actually provide on top of that messenger are really for sales teams, support teams, and marketing teams, uh, you know, so that they can get their jobs done easier, more effectively, more efficiently, that sort of thing. So it's, you know, inbox products and sales bots and that sort of thing. So you're saying that you, um, uh, Intercom itself has like an app store. What, what, can you explain a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it, you know, we are, I think it's kind of, it's no surprise that a company our size would have some sort of app store marketplace. Uh, it seems that there's kind of an app store uh, for every single company these days, or everybody's trying to be a platform. Um, but it, it's an interesting uh, thing to look at with Intercom, because uh, I, I think, you know, from even the very beginning, we always had this thought in the back of our head of like, we're taking on such a broad category, uh, you know, trying to just connect businesses with their customers in any, in any shape that might take uh, is a pretty broad remit. And so for us to, to look at that and then try to make progress on that, we knew from a very early on point that there were plenty of things that we were just never going to get to and never going to do within the product. And so we knew we needed to have really strong APIs. Uh, and, you know, now we've got uh, Canvas Kit, which is sort of our framework to embed UI or embed apps right in, the, right in the context of either the messenger or the kind of admin interface of Intercom. Wow, that seems excellent. And I, I bet everyone uh, knows the platform as you will very well explain it. Yeah, it's definitely there are so many things that beyond the, the messenger, that's probably something that 
uh, everyone knows of intercom but uh, the other side of things probably something that it's people who are not in the field probably can don't know that you're doing more than that so uh, what I was very curious Jeff it's as you said you've been from the almost very beginning with intercom it's the fact that you've grown uh, with the company professionally and uh, personally uh, I imagine it's uh, the fact that you have like different roles in the company and uh, right now today you are a head of platform partnerships at intercom what things you've you've uh, learned throughout the process and also the growth of the company yeah gosh i mean so many things uh when you join a, a like a seed series or a seed you know stage startup uh things function a little differently than when they're much bigger companies and and really uh, you know i used to joke with the support team that like no matter what kind of process or, or you know policy we put in place uh, if you didn't like it don't worry we'll have to scrap it anyways in six months so you'll get a chance to rebuild it again anyways so it's um it is one of those places where i don't think it can you know i don't think working in a startup can be matched anywhere in business or in you know any other professional life just in terms of the raw amount of things you have to learn and the speed at which you get to go through those kind of different phases of growth so uh, i think it's kind of in the dna of intercom it's in fact it's one of our company values which is you know we love people who genuinely want to learn and grow um, and so, you know, it's something we hire for, it's something we hire based on, it's something that really is like stitched throughout Intercom. Um, so in some senses, I was just kind of lucky to land at the right company, uh, where that is a really strong value. And, uh, you know, another thing that I think, you know, we really believe in is like taking big bets on people and taking bets on potential. And so I was kind of very quickly thrown into a role where, you know, I'd never hired anybody, I'd never managed anybody. But here I was starting to manage this growing support team and trying to figure out how to grow it, you know, kind of 100% year over year. Um, so it was, uh, it was a great environment for learning, that's for sure. So, um, Jeff, you are American and uh, yeah, Intercom is um, uh, based in London, like uh, the headquarters, correct me if I'm wrong? It's actually, so our headquarters technically is San Francisco, San but Francisco. Um, so our four founders are all from Dublin, Ireland. So the company really started with a very large Dublin office, a smaller San Francisco office, yeah. and that's sort of evened out over time. But we also now have Chicago, London, and Sydney as well as those two. How come did you did you start working in San Francisco? Explain me a little. Now you are living in Europe. Explain me a little bit your location story throughout the continent. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, um, my wife and I moved here to to Italy, a little village up in the north, uh, kind of north of Lake Como, uh, before I started working for Intercom. So we've been here for almost, I guess it's nine and a half years or so. Um, and we moved here principally because of the mountains. Um, we were both really into climbing and skiing and hiking and all, all the things that kind of come with big mountains. And so we wanted to live somewhere close to mountains. Um, so when I started uh, working at Intercom, I did so remote and I've kind of been remote for the entire time that I've been here at Intercom. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it, it's been another one of those situations where I put myself in a, in a place where I had to learn a lot really quickly when we moved here to Italy. So it's 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 interesting because I think that's one of the one of the things like remote work like for example Envision is one of the the company that's hundred percent everyone in the company is hundred percent or all their teams is hundred percent remote and uh, I'm curious and how you kind of uh, you know you've been able to grow professionally although it's uh, remote I have, I've never done remote work and it's one that I'm I defend it but uh, if you 
you are a clear example and you could explain more on how you kind of deal with it and it's is it do you think it has some drawbacks or it's uh, it's all positive aspects yeah so i guess i'll be um you know quick to say not like envision in terms of like everybody's not remote um uh, you know it's probably the tiny minuscule uh, minority of us actually work remotely at intercom and in most cases it's you know very specific to the role uh very specific to the person as well um for when when somebody in intercom gets to go remote that said i am a huge huge proponent of it um I, you know i think for all the obvious reasons like it's it's easy to hire really great people because you're not you know bound by location uh it's also a lot cheaper because you're not paying san francisco mercenary prices mm-hmm. and you know i think in general uh what you find is that people who people who can make remote work work for them um which isn't everybody like some people just you know they become horribly lonely they just hate it they can't deal with it uh but for the people that it works for it's just like way way higher quality of life for them you know i live in the alps i live in a small village um i have zero commute uh i get to take my kid you know i get to make them breakfast in the morning and then take them to school which is literally the building next door to our house um so like i get to do all these nice things and and sort of remove all of the you know the the dead time in a day if it as it were uh and i know you can use your commute well and that sort of thing but um you know i feel just like my my life my quality of life here is much much higher than it otherwise would be when it comes to trade-offs uh yeah there's definitely trade-offs you know and it very much depends on the company you're working for um if you're interested in being remote like it does definitely pay to look for a company that's remote first uh or at least you know very keen on lots of their uh team being remote because you really need to sort of change the way in which you work um it doesn't make any sense to have lots and lots of face to face meetings uh, even with you know the quality of zoom and that sort of thing you know video calls are just not the same and so you really need to start to think about how can i work more asynchronously how can we do more via writing rather than talking and as a team and as a company you all sort of have to buy into that that change uh, or else it it just is much more difficult to kind of make it happen in an effective way and there are always reasons to you know meet face to face with people you know you build relationships faster and and you know sometimes there's some really high throughput work you need to do really creative work a lot of times that you need to be in the same room with a person and so you also have to be kind of open to this idea that like every now and then I do need to go and and meet with my colleagues and and be with them if nothing else than for the relationships Wow, that's the, it, it's excellent. I didn't know that it was before you decided to to work for Intercom that you you already were were already living living abroad. And uh, how you you knew it from the very beginning that the position was already remote, or is something that you you asked for it? I asked for it. Yeah. So uh, they were, you know, I've got I've got a really good friend who's our VP of Engineering, and uh, I had known, you know, I'd met Des and Owen, two of our founders, previously, and. you know i think honestly they were probably pretty just desperate for someone um and so going off the back of you know a recommendation from a friend they went okay th- this will work this will be fine you can you can work remotely wow it, it, i think it it hasn't been it hasn't been bad for them because you know at the end you've been with them for 7 years almost now and you've had uh, several positions and i, I suppose this is, uh, has helped the company a lot and especially at such a position with a head of partnership which is something i understand it's at the core of the business 
Yeah, well, I, I hope I've been useful at least. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure about that. So, uh, yes, basically you were, you were telling me that you are um, super uh, interested in, in climbing. How, how do you think, uh, like, all the values that you've learned in, in climbing, how do you think you can relate that to, I don't know, to your, the teamwork? Uh, imagine you're also working a team, uh, although it's remote. How can you, you know, the values you can learn uh, in climbing uh, can be related to also to, to your professional job? Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. And I think like there's plenty of, you know, kind of the sports and standard sports analogies that you can draw on and all that stuff. But I think one of the things that um, stands out to me in both climbing and a lot of times in business, just in general and, and teams and problem solving is that um, you can kind of toil away uh, trying to get better at something uh, in climbing. You know, you're, you're going out every day, you're trying, you know, maybe the same route, you're trying kind of stuff of the same grade and same difficulty. Um, and you can be trying and kind of stuck at a certain level for, for quite a while. Uh, and then all of a sudden out of the blue, you know, you sort of jump up, you know, a significant amount, not just like a small incremental amount, but you kind of, there's a step change that happens. Um, and it's never really clear like, what that step change came from. It's not like, okay, you know, I, I got like a brand new pair of shoes. And so now I can all of a sudden climb way harder. It's like, it's a bunch of small things that you can't, none of which you can quite put your you know, finger on. Um, but you know that, you know, this has happened and, and now I'm all of a sudden better at this uh, than I was before. And I think working in, you know, especially high growth environments, um, you, you know, you can kind of bang your head against the wall on a certain problem for a long time. You can, you know, really try and understand like how, how to get better at hiring or you know, how to get better at managing. And it doesn't feel like you're making any meaningful progress uh, when you kind of think about it at the end of each day. Uh, but then at a certain point, you know, either like the problem sort of presents itself, unlocks itself, and you kind of go, I know how to fix this now. Or, you know, it's something if you're you know, thinking about something like management, you kind of look back over a period of time and you're like, oh, actually, I do feel so much more confident and comfortable than I was, you know, back in the day. There has been a lot of change between now and, and that period before. Um, and so I think, like, the lesson, I think, across the board is just stuff takes time uh, and good stuff always takes time. Like, there's no real, like, solid shortcut method to any of these things. We all listen to a lot of great podcasts like yours. Mm -hmm. uh, we all read a lot of great books. Um, but you know, those are all just like little data points that slowly kind of filter in and you really have to be doing something for, a, you know, an extended period of time before it's really going to, you're going to really see the benefit from it. Yeah, that's, I think it's a very good advice because in a world of uh, instant gratification where we are so used to kind of, you know, get everything so easily and so quickly, you know, we, I don't know, even uh, Amazon itself, you know, buying on Amazon, you get it, uh, you right. know, in a few hours or, or the next day or if it's two days, it's like, oh my God, it's taking so much, you know, I'm just going to complain or and it, it's, it's, I think this is something very important. And this reminds me of um, Simon Sinek, a talk about millennials, you know, where he says you cannot yeah. get, you know, you want to change the word, but you can do it in a, like, uh, I don't know, a week, two weeks, uh, yes. I don't know, a year, not even a year. No, no, that's, that's a really, really good point. And I'd forgotten about that talk, but you know, now that you mentioned it, I remember it really well. And it, it's so true, right? Like, I think you see a lot of people and I've seen lots and lots of people come and go at intercom at this stage. Um, and you see people get like frustrated or fed up after like six months in a role. And you're like, come on now. <laughs> like it's only been six months. Like you really just spent the first three months just figuring out where you are. 
like orienting yourself. And now you've been, you know, trying to be productive for three months and you think like you should all of a sudden be master of the universe. Like it doesn't work like that. And yeah. so I, I do think that like, um, you know, whatever, like I think I, I I think technically I'm like the oldest millennial in existence. Um, but like, you know, in theory, I'm a millennial. In any case, though, like I do, you know, I think that's a, that's a fair, uh, fair thing to be leveled against kind of our generation in a lot of ways is that we're in too much of a rush to get there. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's just not possible. And I guess the older I become, the more I can look backwards and go, yeah, it's just totally true. And like I, you know, I used to be a super impatient jerk as well. Yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, it's it's excellent that you brought that through climbing, you know, because I think sports and, and I mean, in this case, climbing, as you were saying, I, I, I don't climb, but it's uh, it's something that's very interesting and it has happened. I can relate to that in some other, uh, you know, even at my work or some other some other stuff I've been learning or languages, you know, it takes time and, and, and probably, I mean, I suppose you, you, you speak Italian already, but you know, probably you've been the first year, uh, you know, not able to, to have like a fluent conversation with, or the first six months with, with, with a person there. And, you know, but there is one day when you've been learning all the way through and you're, you're like, okay, now I'm able to speak because you've kind of been, you know, uh, acquiring lots of information kind of lettering this uh, information, filtering down, assimilating it. And after everything comes together and it's, you're, you're able to, to know that you've, you've done that uh, next step and you are able to do it um, confidently, right. as you will say. Right, right. Yeah, that's another great way to think about it is like the, the language stuff is definitely hard, you know, and uh, learning a language for anybody is difficult. And, um, you know, it, what it takes is a lot of time and effort and, and sort of waiting for your, your brain plasticity almost to catch up with uh, the situation around you in a lot of ways. So what, what is very interesting that you kind of knew from, uh, I, I imagine that you, you kind of knew from the beginning that you, this was the lifestyle you wanted to, to live. What it, it came first for you, it was your passion, which in this case was the mountains, climbing, uh, and, and second, kind of, you know, uh, the job, which is very interesting because some people, you, you, you kind of, you have accommodated the job to your life and some people do the other way around. You know, like they, they have yeah. to move, I don't know, to San Francisco where they have to move in terms of, uh, you know, probably who are very career focused because that's their idea of, of success. But I, what I see is like your case is a successful one because you're getting to live the life you want to live and uh, living where you want to live and the type of life you want to live. And at the same time, uh, having a, a great job. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, and I you know I used to be much quicker to sort of uh, you know pontificate about the you know how people shouldn't you know go career first or care about you know work as much as they do, but you know I think it, it that's like also the wrong way around. Uh, the right way to think about this is people need to like really think hard about what it is they want to get out of life. I mean, like it's totally cliche, but you only get one, and they're not that long, mm. um, and so it. it it's important to stop and go, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Like, what, what is my bucket list? Um, you know, what are the things that matter a lot to me? Uh, you know, I've never been personally a person that like really enjoys cities. Um, you know, I can have fun in a city for a week or a weekend, but uh, if I am in a city for any extended period of time, I start to lose my mind. You know, I need green, I need, you know, mountains or ocean or something that's, uh, not generally readily available in cities. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think 
people need to look at that and people need to decide for themselves like, okay, what is important to me? Um, and sometimes it's a, it, it's a time period thing as well. You know, like some people go, you know, really hard on their career for a while and then say, okay, cool. Now I'm done. Now, I think a lot of people want to say that that's what they're going to do. And they forget that there's like a, there was a cutoff point in their mind in the beginning. And so that's where I'm always kind of like, when I see a really young person, like going crazy after their career, um, you know, unless they're like really loving the place they are currently, uh, you have to ask, okay, but why, you know, like, why are you going so hardcore in your career? Like, you, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to make it another 10 years to, to retire early at 40 or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, think a little bit about how you're spending each day because every day that goes by, you're not going to get back. Um, so I think, you know, more people would, more people would be benefited, I think, by thinking both about like what they want to be doing, uh, but also where they want to be doing it. Right. Cause I think, you know, location is really, really important to, uh, mental health and, and sort of happiness in life. Yeah. Yeah. Completely, completely agree with that, uh, with that point, you know, because we kind of, I think we get, um, carried away by what, uh, we're, we're being told or, or what's the idea of the mainstream idea of success and, uh, how much you should be earning or where you should be living. And probably, you know, that's not for everyone, you know, and you kind of have to know that, you know, looking inside yourself and see like, uh, you know, do I really, uh, you know, want, want to be doing this or is it because something that, you know, I don't know, family uh, ideas or society has been imposing on me that what, what I should be doing, you know, and, and definitely I think uh, mental health, it's, it's something that uh, day and day more, it's, it's, it's more common to talk about and it's definitely very important of where we're living, which is, uh, um, as you always say, you know, uh, spending your free time in, in a place you, you are enjoying and you, you, you feel free, you know? Right, right. And also related, also kind of we're doing uh, analogies to, to climbing. Uh, I've done it once, so I have to say that normally it's, uh, you're working in partnerships, no? You, you need to have your partner there with you. What type of climbing do you do? Yeah, so that, that is mostly true. Uh, and I know everybody's probably out there has seen the, the film Free Solo about Alex Honnold. So it's not always true that you climb with a partner, but most of the time that's true. Um, and it's, I mean, it is totally true kind of uh, for most aspects of climbing, you're doing it with someone else. Um, you have to put a ton of trust in that person. Obviously, it's your life in their hands, literally. Um, and to be honest, it's like not only that, but it's just a lot of trust in the systems and the kind of the gear that you're using and all the rest. And so, uh, I think those things are subtle lessons, uh, but like really important lessons nonetheless. Um, you know, when like the first time I landed in camp in Yosemite, uh, you know, it's kind of famed climber campground and, uh, everybody's just there kind of for the for a period of a few months or something for the summer, for the season. And you don't always show up with, you know, uh, a partner that you're going to have for the entire time to climb with. And so you spend a lot of your time kind of meeting new people, deciding, you know, do I trust this person enough to go climb? Do they seem like they know what they're doing? Are they, you know, kind of roughly my level? Do you, know, am I going to have a good time out? And uh, there are plenty of horror stories when people make those choices, you know, poorly. Um, there are also plenty of lifetime friendships that come out of those situations. Um, and so you're right. Like, you know, choosing the people you want to be around and the people you want to do stuff with is also, I think, really important. 
Wow, it's just like uh, just choosing a co-founder, no? Because you you definitely yeah. within your, your your in this case, I think it's it's definitely more important because it's your life at uh, 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 the game, no? It's your life, the one you're you're kind of playing with. But the on the other side, it's about your business or or you know who are you going to share your time with. Uh, in, 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 when taking important decisions, and I think that's that's definitely uh, something crucial. Suppose choosing the right partner, it just just happens, and you know, just I uh, suppose it's uh, it's about trust, and I think this kind of takes us um, back to 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 work. Uh, in some cases, about like teamwork, you know, like relying on uh, on our coworkers, or or choosing the right people to work with. I understand. Do you do you like uh, have a team who works with you, and how do you kind of uh, work in terms of um, remotely? Because uh, I understand that your 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 company, in order to kind of um, you know allow you to work remotely, there is a, some kind of trust that you're going to do your job, or uh, and I think that's something that we we are lacking in most of the companies, uh, especially for example here. Uh, I'm living in Barcelona at the moment, and it's. Um, I mean, startups do uh, definitely have that a lot, but like more traditional companies are kind of afraid to let go workers to work remote because uh, I think it's a, it's a an issue, a trust, a trust, an issue of trust. Sorry, uh, because you know they don't trust that they're going to do their job if they are not at work or in the office. Right, right, yeah, and like you know, going back to the earlier point. Um, you know, you don't, uh, you know, climbing partnerships and like, you know, finding partners to go climbing can actually be uh, fairly safe to like kind of test out with new people as long as you kind of know what you're doing in terms of like what the right way to climb is. Uh, the worst situations I've ever seen have been people who are not very confident in their like own abilities and in climbing and like understanding the systems. And then, you know, they jump in with someone that they think is much more uh, you know, sort of projecting much more experience and that sort of thing. And then they find themselves in trouble and they can't get themselves out of that trouble. Um, and the same, I think, is totally true with with teams and companies. Like it really is a situation of uh, building expectations and like setting expectations with each other and then and then just sort of executing against those expectations. And so um, like right now, I have a very, very small team, but um, I think a, a great example of this is when I was building out the support team and it was getting much larger, um, we were, you know, the only company or the only team in the company at that stage that was global, you know, globally distributed. All of our R&D team was based in Dublin. All of our sort of sales and marketing org was based in San Francisco. And support was the only one that was in both offices and a couple remote locations, including me in Italy. And the way we handled that was both like being, you know, very careful about how we vetted people and how we brought people into the team. Um, but also just uh, like you said, it's a lot about trust. And uh, once we had sort of set the expectation of what we were looking for and, you know, knew what the, you know, person on the, that was joining our team's expectation was, we could very easily like align ourselves around, okay, these are the ways in which we work so that we can, you know, meet those expectations um, and so that, you know, we're not, we're basically trying to keep, you know, as, as sort of calm an atmosphere as possible. It's not always possible in startups, but, um, you know, you can, by kind of setting up all these methods and kind of patterns and, uh, you know, rituals on a weekly and daily basis, you can make things seem a lot more kind of collected than they might otherwise be. And so we just put a lot of time and effort into working asynchronously and not depending on face-to-face -face meetings. And because of that, that's just became the way we operated.
I think that's definitely something, something to bear in mind and to have present because, you know, I don't know, for example, I, um, at the company where I am, normally holidays are kind of people who go on holidays. It's kind of an issue because, you you know, we are not used to kind of not be working face to face. And if we kind of had implemented some, you were saying, some some other way of, of working that doesn't, doesn't imply face to face, it's easier to kind of also do work when the people are not there something that uh, most of companies should have at least you know uh, know the processes that it implies to implying this type of uh, of work or to to get a job done to get the work done so uh, so it's very interesting the, the the point you 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 highlighted here and as you're highlighted uh, as you're doing a, a partnership i'm i'm i would like to ask you what do you define as a strategic partnership what is your definition of strategic partnership? Because at the same time, I, I understand it's always about uh, win-win partnerships. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, what, what, like the sense of it in general, it doesn't have to be necessarily work-wise, but like, how do you define that? Because probably there are people out there who is, uh, you know, doing the, the very first early steps in, you know, uh, probably starting partnerships. And, and that's a very uh, difficult approaching people, you know, the, the, the very first yep. approach. And uh, even myself to get uh, people for, for the podcast, you know, at the end of the day, it's some kind of partnership. And uh, yeah, it's not always easy, you know. Uh, yeah, if you could explain more about um, what, what do you think it's the... Um, the keys to kind of uh, you know close an interesting partnership or or you know trans the, translates the message that it's a win win partnership even at the very beginning it may not seem very equal or super balanced or something in the long run what is your definition of it or yeah of strategic sure Sure. So, I mean, I think there's a few things to think about, like um, defining strategic partnership uh, really is sort of down company to company and individual to individual. Like you really have to know what the organization's goals are and like what they're after. Um, something that's like very strategic to um, Google might not be at all strategic to Amazon. Right. Um, and so, you know, you, you see this a lot when it gets into you know, when you see a, a really small company bought for a huge sum of money and you're like, what in the heck were they thinking? Uh, a great example is I mean, WhatsApp and Facebook. Like at the time, everybody was like, oh my gosh, they're paying how much? And then, you know, now everybody just generally agrees that like that was a, you know, pennies price that they got WhatsApp for. Like they, they would have been, it would have been a great deal at like 10 or 15 times that amount. Um, but like, you know, so from that point of view, I don't know that uh, I can necessarily comment with anything helpful. But I think one of the ways that I like to think about, um, you know, trying to trying to get people to build on the app store is that it's like you said, it has to be good for both sides. Um, and you have to remember that it's a really long game. Um, so especially like in any industry, but you know, software is no different. Like it's a very small industry. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Um, you know, it is global and all that, but you know, it's amazing if you've been in, in it for even just a few years, how many times you run into the same people over and over and there are different companies and you know, different things. So I find that it's, it's much more about building trust. And if there is, if there actually isn't a reason for both companies to do, you know, a partnership or a deal at that point, it's better to just leave it on good terms and say, let's check back in in a few months. Um, because there's no like there's no benefit really enforcing these things uh, you know maybe there's a few small cases where that makes sense but it's not what i've found so far in, in partnerships the way we're working them is that 
Um, there's no benefit in forcing it. You're actually just going to breed animosity or you're going to have a team that doesn't really want to build an app or, or work on this thing with you. Whereas if you just waited four months, maybe their roadmap changes, maybe their own company strategy shifts a little bit and all of a sudden it's become really important. Um, so I think it's, it's easier just to stay uh, on the kind of high road and just be someone that people want to work with. Uh, because you've kind of shown yourself to be uh, high integrity. You've shown yourself to be someone that they like working with, that that's easy to work with. And I think that generally will help you carry much further than trying to like eke, you know, terms out of a deal or trying to force people into a, you know, a contract at, at your uh, timeline. Wow, that's, uh, that's uh, some very great highlights there. And I, I think uh, what you've said definitely, definitely makes sense because uh, it's important for both sides. And forcing it, it just make it very short and probably unpleasant and probably just waiting for the right time, you know, makes the, the, uh, the I don't know, the relationship uh, solid. And as you well said, for the, for, the long, for the long run, now I understand the, the the idea what you were mentioning at the very beginning you know just being patient and you know uh waiting for things that good things takes time and it's it's definitely uh, we can uh, relate it to to a strategic partnership uh, too so um one last question to kind of uh, uh close it off um what i'm super curious is about that you've grown in the company and you've had different roles and um, yeah, how, how kind of you did the process from one to another? It was something that came to you? It was something that you kind of asked for it? Or um, uh, because probably there are people out there who kind of, um, it's very complicated to, or not, you know, grow in the same company. I mean, if you're in a startup, probably it's, it's super easy, whereas a corporate, it's, it's, it takes more time and it's more difficult uh, to go to, you know, to step to some other position or kind of right. shift. Um, so, so how was that for you? All that process? Yeah. Yeah. Like I totally agree with you um, on point number one, like the startups versus big companies, if you want to grow a ton and be put in situations that you would never otherwise be put in uh, by an IBM or an Oracle or, or even like a Google at this stage, um, go to a startup because you'll, you know, you'll have the chance to work on crazy stuff. And in, in a lot of cases you'll end up, you know, running much bigger teams much faster than you would otherwise. I'm a prime example of that. Um, when it came to changing from you know, running support to uh, doing platform partnerships, um, it was a little bit of both. Like I had um, I'd sort of put my hand up and talked to a, a few folks, you know, senior folks in Intercom and, and you know, friends at the stage and said, look, you know, I'm, I, think, I feel like I'm sort of reaching the, the limit of what I'm enjoying here. Uh, it, it's a very big team. We were about 100 people at that stage. Um, my job had shifted from sort of building to uh, maintaining and like uh, optimizing in a lot of ways. So I spent a lot of time with, uh, you know, my senior managers on the team who are both extremely capable, um, one of whom is now the director of support at Intercom. Um, and I spent a lot of time with like our, our people ops, our HR department. And I spent a lot of time with kind of other leaders, um, but I didn't really feel like I was, uh, I don't know that I was like operating at the level I should be uh, or the level that I really enjoy. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it was partially me putting my hand up and partially kind of trusting the process by me saying, look, maybe there's something else. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, they, you know, they had an eye out for it and they were looking for things that might suit. And uh, we were, we were redesigning our messenger and kind of 
really starting down this platform path at that point. And they said, okay, here's another area where this is like sort of going back in time a little bit and, and going back to the beginning and saying, okay, here's a thing we don't really know a ton about. Uh, we have, we don't really have a lot of, um, you know, kind of preconceived notions about how we should set things up or how we should operate this. Um, please go in there. Uh, there's an immediate need just for this, you know, redesign of the messenger and getting a few core partners to get off the ground. Um, but then we figured there'll be a bunch of other stuff we need to figure out and we're sure that you'll be able to help do that. So it was very much just kind of a, Hey, this is super ambiguous. It's going to be a, bit of a mess. Uh, but that seems like what you enjoy. So just get in there and have at it, which worked out really well. Wow, that's excellent. And also, it's uh, again uh, to a question of trust. You've trusted them that they were uh, kind of, uh, you know, not putting you in something that it's it's totally different or you have no idea of, or at least, uh, you know, uh, so you trusted them in that kind of giving you this uh, next position that was something that kind of uh, related to who you are and you're related to kind of your background or who you are as a person which is also very important whenever you're you're taking up new challenges and, uh, and definitely they knew you're you like challenges and and and, and off they went no offering you this uh, this new a uh, new position which is excellent yeah so, yeah it worked out really well it was great great fun uh, it's been great fun so far wow so it's 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 this is a very good tip also you know uh, because sometimes you probably you're I don't know, some people probably are afraid to speak up or say, you know, that, uh, you know, to humbly say, you know, this is something I've been doing this for a long time and it's not something that I'm enjoying. And uh, definitely knowing uh, to be able to express that and, and share it with the company and with the right people, uh, they will definitely do something kind of uh, try to help you out um, if you are the person they want to keep in their team. And it's, it's always about, you know, talking and expressing ourselves. And, and sometimes it's difficult, but uh, uh, probably for the people listening, which is, is something important, you know, just if you talk in the right moment rather than waiting until, until the very end when you're like, you know, probably stressed or, or burnout and you're, you don't want to do your work anymore, just, you know, just uh, speaking and, 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 you know, trying to, to get to some um, a middle ground terms with the, with the company. Right. Yeah. That's actually something really important. I feel like um, a lot of people get wrong earlier in their career. They sort of, uh, they want to point out things that aren't being done correctly or aren't being done correctly. According to them. Uh, they also want to be put into positions of responsibility really, really fast. You know, they want to, you know, lots and lots of promotions really quickly. Um, but it's, it's also fair to, to, you know, to say that like, listen, um, you know, the way you, the better way to approach all of that is, you know, come with, Hey, look, I, I've found this thing that I don't think is right. And like, these are three different like solutions that I think we could put in place. Um, so come with solutions rather than just problems or, in, or even worse, rather than just complaining. Um, and then understand that like, you know, if, if you have slowly built up this sort of trust and, uh, you know, building, uh, autonomy or um, accountability within a team, like those opportunities will come and you have to sort of have a little bit of trust in the, in the other, you know, the people, the exec team or whoever they are or your manager in that company. But you really have to build and own that accountability before someone's going to all of a sudden trust you to do a job that you've never done before. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it was very much, yes, there was a lot of trust. There was a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of conversations, but um, you know, I think that like the reason ultimately it worked is because I had, you know, shown them, look, you know, I, I did this big, this big stretch here. I've done this kind of zero to one phase before. 
Um, and I, you know, I enjoy being the generalist in a group and like, you know, just figuring out how the problem solve on the fly. Uh, so, you know, I had kind of shown them what was going to suit and then they had to just look for the thing that kind of matched that, uh, that pattern. Wow. Yeah, that, that's excellent. Very, super great, uh, advice. So, uh, yeah, uh, Jeff, uh, it's been great talking to you and, uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, uh, so, so thank you so much for your time and, um, uh, enjoy Italy. Thank you so much, Christina. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.